anybody there? It seems I'm all alone again. Does anybody care? This planet's empty. I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, indeed, it is another Friday and this is, oh, been quite a week. Yes, it is Friday, May 12th, 2023, 2020, what? Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we bring down, well, we bring down, we bring up, I don't know. We break down. That's what we do. The good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, <coughs> excuse me, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to. And leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help out tremendously to help other people find the show. Oh boy, and if this wasn't more relevant than ever, do, ever, do not let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and his oligarch friends, their oligarch friends, buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. And we're seeing evidence of that all week long. Uh, that's for sure. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly rooted community pack to invest in organizing supporting local and statewide progressive candidates and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on today's show, if I can get through it with my allergies are nasty this morning. Um, well, this week, CNN doubles down on cashing in on Trump holding a town hall that allowed disgraced, disgraced president and convicted sexual assaulter to spew lies and deceit before a cheering audience. Way to go, CNN. So now Anderson Cooper to kind of do the defense of CNN. Like, oh, you don't like to hear from people you don't like? Bah, 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 bah. What does that say about our democracy? It was never the point, Anderson. And Republican fraudster representative from New York... You know his name, George Santos, that's right. He, well, he was arrested and accused of 13 crimes, ranging from money laundering to fraud to lying about his finances and congressional disclosure forms. Santos, of course, pleaded not guilty, but he's not to resign and said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> of course, we should take him at his word, right? Of course. And Elon Musk gives Tucker Carlson a platform with a new show on Twitter. Yeah, there you go. All I got to say is, when is Blue Sky launching again? <clears throat> right? I know they already got the invite-only thing, but look, anybody got a Blue Sky invite they could send my way? I can't get off Twitter fast enough, I'm telling you. Um, I'm going to get it out. And I've already signed up. I'm on the. I'm in the waiting list, right, to get on Blue Sky. I think Blue Sky, if, it's, if it turns out to be what I keep on hearing about it be, that is going to be the place to go. 
<clears throat> for this show and anyone who cares about democracy. Crazy. Well, this week, the Writers Guild strike is going strong, and the billion-dollar entertainment industry just refuses to negotiate in good faith for a fair contract, a bunch of other stuff. Guess what? It's going to be hitting your binge-watching pretty soon. <clears throat> They're even talking about, like, well, let's bring in AI. We don't need people anymore. Insane. A little closer to home today, <clears throat> as some of you who listen to this show know, the Penridge School Board's meetings went off the rails once again as board members shut down the public comments and threatened community members with forceful removal. That paved the way for um, passing the far-right board's discriminatory bathroom policy, and the board even went as far as calling the local police, who were overheard saying, what are we doing here? <laughs> and at that same Penridge meeting, community members and teachers showed up in large numbers to demand the board negotiate in good faith with the teachers' union. The teachers' contract is set to expire at the end of June, and now we know that uh, Megan Bannis, Cle uh, Bannis Clemens, the uh, Red Wizard herself, is basically, uh, she's spilled the beans. Yeah, the, uh, the, the board's like, yeah, they want to give teachers a 2% raise, right? Um, you know, Penridge school, uh, Penridge teachers already make 30% less than all the surrounding districts. And so she wants to give them a 2% raise, which doesn't even match inflation, which amounts to a pay cut when you add in the kind of additional fees and kind of... Uh, payment they're gonna have to make on their health insurance if they accept that it's great to hear the community come out in support of the teachers meanwhile public comments became heated once again in the central bunk school district at their school board meeting on tuesday yes community members and parents spoke out against the board's use of far-right christian law firm to produce a report quote unquote i use that term loosely about the board's discriminatory lgbtq policies Several people also accused right-wing members of the board of bullying and abusive behavior toward other members of the board and members of the community. That's right. Gotta love that. <clears throat> Karen Smith has been, uh, you know, she's the Democrat of the board there, been the target of a bunch of those attacks, and she called for this one guy, Pepper, uh, to uh, basically step down because he's <laughs> a horrible human being. <sighs> And the PA primary elections are this coming Tuesday, May 16th, if you're not already aware. And look, the future of the Penridge School District is on the line, as is the future of many school boards across the, across the Commonwealth. If you're not registered, it is too late to register for the primaries, but it is a great time to register for the general election in this fall. Just head on over to vote.pa.gov and fill out your voter registration today. Do not wait if you are not already registered. And for those of you who are registered, we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight because the way uh, a lot of these school boards, they allow cross-filing, which means you can have candidates that get on the ballot for uh, the Democratic primary and the Republican primary. And there's a couple of people that are on the Democratic primary, uh, one guy in particular, who is the farthest thing from kind of like a, 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 a Democrat or even moderate Republican. Uh, the guy is at the forefront of the kind of radical rights takeover of the uh, uh Penridge area uh, Republican club or party, whatever the hell you want to call it. Do not vote for that man. Sellers, I will tell you more about him. And this one's a little bit harder for me. So um, I was, this is a shout out to a um, former Kutztown University student, student Ryan uh, Padavani. Um, he was a, he was a former student of mine. 
and uh, he was a, a fierce advocate for LGBTQ um, and disability rights. Um, he was an amazing being, um, who fought for everything that he got, um, and uh, was an advocate for others uh, around kind of access to mental health, um, access to um, fairness and uh, um, uh, accommodations for ACA. Well, um, he, uh, he got a job up in uh, Kingston, PA, um, technical writer, and he was thrilled about it. Um, and we found, we found out much of our devastation this past week. Um, he was killed. Um, the, uh, at first, at the beginning of the week, we had no, the, it was unclear what exactly happened until the Kingston, Kingston police uh, released information saying that after an autopsy was performed, um, uh, it's definitely a homicide. <clears throat> so <clears throat> they do not have any suspects at this time, as far as has been <clears throat> public reported. Um, so uh, Ryan's killer is still at large. <clears throat> and the Kingston police are asking anyone with information about the case to contact the Kingston Police Department, Detective Robert Miller, <clears throat> at 570 288 3674 extension 420 that's detective robert miller at 570-288-3674 extension 420 or you can email him at rmiller at kingstonpd.org that's rmiller at kingstonpd.org um, that information will also be in today's show notes <clears throat> um <clears throat> And uh, just for the heck of it, scientists are looking into whether space-time comes from magic. I kid you not. It's a real thing. <clears throat> there you go. Um, <clears throat> yeah, for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Go to therichsmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. They know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter and subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. So also shout out goes to Jillian, who had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Jillian. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, <clears throat> excuse me, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community towards calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check them out at buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or subscribe to their podcast wherever you get your podcast. And attention to all you gamers out there. The Game Inn, that's with two N's, is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get a discount when they get A's in the report card. You can't beat it. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the game in. That's the two ends. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. A special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, as always, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff and follow him on Twitter or uh, on his YouTube page. Follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's with two ends. 
That's at Saga Dayman on Twitter. Well, um, as y'all know, um, this past week uh, I had to postpone. Uh, I had to postpone the show with Mark Engler this past week, um, and I'm 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 really sorry about that. I just had some things that uh, that came up that uh, I just needed to kind of uh, deal with Monday night, and uh, it was just not. It was just going to be. At best, a rush show if I can make it happen, and that's just not, it's, uh, it was not going to work out. Um, so Mark has been great about uh, kind of understanding that, um, and uh, we're working to get a uh, uh, kind of a rain date, so to speak, um, see if we can reschedule him to get him on the show. Um, but having said that, um, maybe this is the kind of the universe coming together as a way of kind of me making up for um for missing the uh, for Monday show. So you remember that we already had this one scheduled. We've already been announcing this on Monday at a special time at 1.30 p.m. on Monday. Um, I'm welcoming award-winning journalist uh, Christina Marusic to the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about her new book, uh, The a New War on Cancer, The Unlikely Heroes, Revolutionizing Prevention. Um, it's, uh, it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, uh, book. I'll give you a little blurb on it. In a new war on cancer, uh, Marusic does a deep dive into the, uh, remarkable doctors, scientists, and advocates, um, um, who are dealing with cancer prevention In searching for answers. She met remarkable doctors, scientists, and advocates, oh, I'm sorry, who are upending our understanding of cancer and how to fight it. They recognize that we will never re- uh, reduce cancer rates without ridding our lives of the chemicals that are increasingly trigger this deadly disease. Uh, if you remember, we've had her on the show before. She's an award-winning journalist. As I said, she covers environmental health and justice for Environmental Health News. Um, and uh, she is just a, a phenomenal reporter. Um, we had her one great to have her on the show when she did her investigative piece for envir- uh, Environmental Health News uh, about chemicals going in, getting into people's bodies in the Southwest PA. Um, this book is just absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. I hope you can join us at that special time at 1.30. Now, because I had uh, that special time at 1.30, um, that means that they didn't have a show at 7. But that worked out really well because somebody who've been uh, I've been kind of reaching out to and uh, wanted to get on the show um, kind of got back to me and said she could do seven o'clock. So we are going to do it. And I am thrilled about this, especially on the eve of the primary day. It couldn't be more uh, critical. So on Monday at 7 p.m., I welcome Catherine Joyce to the show. She's an investigative editor at In These Times and author of two books, The Quiverful and The Child Catchers. And we'll be talking about her, we're going to talk about kind of some broad stuff, but we're going to talk specifically about her article, Mad Bombs, a new Christian nationalist front group claims to champion parental involvement in public um, education. Yes, we are talking about Moms for Liberty. So we'll be talking about Moms for Liberty on Monday night show at 7 p.m. That's with Catherine Joyce. Um, her work on Christian nationalist currents and the kind of the rise of um, these kind of cultural conflicts. Um, I, I've been following her work for quite some time because uh, she's been on this. She's been way ahead of the curve in covering these issues. And it's going to be a thrill to have her on the show um, on Monday. And if you, you know, if you get a chance, you check out her books. Um, they're just, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic fantastic her, her book the child catchers rescue trafficking the new gospel of adoption um and then the the one that i kind of first kind of really 
kind of got me paying attention to what she was doing. This was from back, I think it's 2009, I want to say, this book came out. To give you a sense of how far ahead she is, um, the book was Quiverful, Inside Christian Patri- the, the Christian Patriarchy Movement. Um, it's fantastic. Um, so do come on, check her out on Sunday on Monday night at 7 p.m. and be here at 1.30 p.m. with Christina Marusic to talk about her new book, New War on Cancer. All right. Uh, and finally, if you want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media and the movement, the movement and the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. So welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. I did it once again. I talked past my music intro. Gives me a sense that I'm already kind of a, it's been a laggy day. Um, it is my, it is finals week in my neck of the woods, uh, which means uh, classes like mine means like all student papers are in. So I've been grading nonstop all week long. Um, it's one of these things, one of these weeks where it's both like awesome and exhausting at the same time, right? It's like, it's awesome in the sense that, you know, you get, you get some of these papers that come in that are just doing such cool stuff. And these students are just doing just, you know, amazing work. Um, and there's always like surprises. And I don't mean like, you know, students who are, you know, those students were not doing good. And then surprise, they did great. No, but more like, you know, just the, you know, the different kind of perspectives and angles and kind of, and, and you know, things that, you know, come up that you didn't get a chance to talk about and drafting and things like this, but that you see there in the final product, it's just so, it's so interesting. Um, but it's a lot at the same time. So a bit exhausted and my, uh, yeah, allergies are kind of kicking my butt today. So, um, but it is what it is. So let's kind of talk a little bit of stuff in the, um, <clears throat> going kind of national. Everyone I'm sure saw that CNN decided to, uh, hold this town hall with Donald Trump. Right. Um, as a way of also kind of, you know, giving a little boost to their new, um, uh, you know, one of their kind of new kind of up and coming, quote unquote, stars, um, you know, as as kind of the questioner. It was, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a dog and pony show uh, or should I just say it is a little bit of a cash machine, I guess, um, because. We know that CNN, and this, this kind of came out, they even kind of said, uh, CNN even came out, so, oh, we did the wrong thing. Because, and it was CNN, look, it wasn't just CNN, but uh, the major, especially the cable networks, uh, were making major bank on Trump um, during the uh, 2020 election. Right? I'm sorry, 2016 election, right? Because, you know, they saw, you know, he was crazy and he's like, but people, people tuned in to watch him, right? Um, whether it was just the Trump show or whether it was kind of like people who were supporters, they didn't know, they didn't care. They were just making bank. And so despite the fact that the guy was lying through his teeth, despite the fact that he um, said racist stuff and sexist stuff and uh, everything that you could not want in said president, they were like, oh God, this is great entertainment. So we're going to keep on platforming this guy. He got so much free media that, um, it was, you know, basically you didn't need to spend much on his campaign because, you know, CNN was all in. So now having done that, right, um, you had the previous president or CEO of CNN um, basically said it was a mistake. And it's like, okay, great. You know, mea culpa, like after the fact that after you banked on it and kind of gave us, you know, <clears throat> helped, 
you know, promote this dude. Um, they said, you know, we're, we're going to be more critical in the future. Well, they've got a new president or CEO now, and it looks like that CNN is making the move to try to get some more of that Fox audience that they see blood in the water um, around what happened with Tucker Carlson and stuff. So they think that they can scoop up some of this, um, <clears throat> scoop up some of this conservative viewership, and they're going to do it through promoting Trump once again. So you had this, you know, the moderator was Caitlin Collins. Um, Caitlin Collins, she was uh, came out of the right wing media sphere and kind of the Daily Caller, right? Um, she asked him maybe one or two kind of like probing questions, trying to get him to answer stuff, and he didn't. Um, but then after that, it was just pretty, you know, pretty much the Trump show. There was no questioning him on all of the lies that he was telling, right? Um, like she did once, I think, well, you know, you know, people have said that the election was here. Are you willing to kind of accept it? And nope, he said no, just went on, did his old shtick, and then that was it for her. Um, and that's despite the fact that, you know, I mean, you know, this is after uh, he's been convicted now of sexual assault, right? Um, and he goes on and goes on and says, you know, calls the woman who who uh, kind of brought that case against him, calls her a whack job, right? And then the audience is cheering and laughing, right? So not only did CNN basically give this guy a platform and not challenge his lies and not challenging the, the, the very thing that's brought us to the brink of like fascist takeover of this country, but they, they populated the audience with Trump supporters, right? And so giving everyone in the audience that signal that this is funny. Yeah, this is funny. Yes, this is a good guy. Oh, yeah, look, they all support him, right? That kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was like a triple kind of assault. And now, you know, again, the uh, um, E. Jean Carroll, uh, the woman who brought that suit against Trump and won that suit against Trump uh, for in the, uh, um, in the neighborhood, I think it was like $5 million. Um, she may, may kind of assume again. Now, uh, for a further defamation of character after what he said during that, um, during that, um, quote unquote, town hall. So anyways, you know, I mean, you know, the one time, the one, the one additional time that she pressed him, right, uh, that Caitlin Collins pressed him, you know, Trump basically, well, you are a nasty person, he says, right? And she was barely nasty, right? <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So uh, th this is from the Washington Post, right? Um, just to give you a sense, this, this is how they framed it. CNN's primetime broadcast of a raucous town hall uh, with Donald Trump propelled a tsunami of criticism from inside and outside the network on th Thursday. Uh, renewed questions about how the news media will handle the challenge of, of covering the serial falsehoods of the Republican Party's leading candidate going in the 2024 election, right? Um, and then... A predictably disastrous um, quote uh, wrote former T uh, network TV news executive Mark uh, Lukashevitz, uh, part of a chorus of media critics and political observers who bemoaned the on-air spectacle. Quote, live lying works. A friendly MAGA crowd consistently laughs, claps at Trump's punchlines, and the moderator cannot begin to keep up with the AR-15 pace of lies. At a time when CNN has been struggling to turn around viewership um, decline, uh, the telecast proved to be a ratings disappointment with Nielsen reporting just 3.1 million viewers overall. That was a big boost over CNN's typical 8 p.m. telecast, but a smaller audience than CNN's town hall with President Biden last summer, which was 3.7 million. 
and six previous Trump town halls carried by Fox News, calling into question both CNN and Trump's drawing power. Um, the bigger story actually here is that the news media has not learned its lesson, right? It's not, I mean, again, it's a story about ratings and all this other kind of stuff when really the thing is we should not be, we cannot be uncritically platforming an authoritarian, a demagogue. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know why that is so hard to say directly, right? You bring someone on, is like you cannot bring someone on who's proven to be a serial liar and demagogue without the purpose of there to challenge this person with journalist action. I mean, you think, imagine this. Imagine if it was Mehdi Hassan who was interviewing Trump. Do you think it would have gone like this? No. But instead, CNN's looking to kind of like, you know, say, hey, we brought Trump on. You know, they thought this was their big get. That does not bode well for the kind of upcoming elections, but we shall see. And of course, we got more drama from more liars in the Republican Party this week with uh, George Santos basically being arrested and accused of uh, 13 crimes, ranging from money laundering to fraud, lying about his finances and congressional disclosure forms. Uh, is pretty something else, <laughs> if you have to say. I mean, if you want to put it like that. Um, I, I, was, I was completely, like, blown away by, well, I don't know if I really was blown away, actually, to think about it. Um, but it's just, it's remarkable to me, I guess, that, um, that people like this could just keep doing what they're doing. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe he was going to pay a price, but we'll, we shall, we shall see. Um, so this is from the AP U S representative George Santos infam infamous for fabricating his life story, pleaded not guilty to Wednesday to charges that he duped donors stole from his campaign and lied to Congress about being a millionaire all the while cheating to collect unemployment benefits he didn't deserve. I mean, it's this guy, but he says, I didn't do anything. This is all ridiculous. Oh no, no, I'm not going to resign. Right. What, what's, what's remarkable about this is that, you know, if you're collecting unemployment benefits, you didn't deserve, that means they've got records. I mean, you've got to like, you know, there's checks that were cashed, right? I mean, this is like crazy. Um, you know, he's what he tried to kind of like echo Trump's thing about witch hunting, right? Uh, you know, they, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just incredible. So let me see, where's this one part I want to say? Okay, so among the allegations is again from the AP, prosecutors say Santos created a company and then induced supporters to donate to it under the false pretense that the money would be used to support his campaign. Instead, they say, he used the money for personal expenses, including designer clothes and credit cards and car payments. Santos is also accused of lying about his finances on congressional disclosure forms, obtaining unemployment benefits while he was making $120,000 as regional director of an investment firm that the government shut down in 2021 over allegations that it was a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> I mean, can you believe this? This is just like, this is, this is like, I want the movie of this. I mean, I do want the movie version of this uh, after this guy uh, heads to prison. Because, uh, you know, the the level of, you know, it, he just strikes me as someone who's like got to the point where he's living so far inside his lies, right? That that's all there is are lies, right? So the lies are his version of truth. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like he can't get outside the lies because that's what he's been living like uh, for all this time. <clears throat> Thank you, Amy. I'm just seeing your comment now uh, about our loss. Yeah, thanks, and uh, and welcome to the show. Um, so that's pretty crazy. <clears throat> and then again, in a in a whole different uh, 
you know, uh, a whole, well, not whole different, but it, this is very similar, you know, in this, it's like in the same vein, I guess is why I grouped these things together this week. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson got, you know, fired from, from Fox and <clears throat> he did his boohoos on, um, you know, on his like, like weird kind of panel to bunker Facebook live thing or whatever um, about, you know, you know, wanting to say he wanted, you know, been treated unjustly, but without having to say that because he didn't want to get sued by Fox and things like that. Um, but the, um, the, the, the crazy thing this week with that was, I mean, I, I don't maybe, um, uh, people knew about this. Maybe, you know, people saw this coming, but, uh, Tucker Carlson announced this week that he was getting a new Twitter show. That's right. He's getting a new show on Twitter. Um, so this is from the New York Times. The former Fox News host, Tucker Carlson, declaring, quote, we're back, said on Tuesday that he was starting a new show on Twitter, a sign that negotiations to reach an amicable separations with the network where he's still under contract had broken down. Mr. Carlson offered no details when his new program would begin or what kind of content it would have. Uh, the many unanswered questions highlighted the uncertainty surrounding his future, a career in which he would be deprived of a primetime platform on Fox News. Right? So... And the rest of this story, and there's many stories like this one, but the rest of the story is about Tucker Carlson's negotiating contract and how Fox could stop him from doing this because they're still under contract negotiations. Again, missing the freaking main story, right? The main story here is that you have a, like a soft white nationalist, if you will, soft in multiple ways, soft white nationalist, right, who has been platforming kind of Christian nationalism, white supremacy on his show for years, right, is now going to be let loose on Twitter, right, where there's going to be far less to rein him in, which means that is going to be the source or a key source uh, for fanning these flames of, you know, kind of extremism, in the lead up to the 2024 election. And that is what Elon Musk is doing. So these things are all connected. You've got fraudsters that are being elected to Congress, right? And and basically, you know, following the Trump plan of just kind of lie about everything and uh, try to kind of make it go away, right? You've got uh, CNN, right, uh, platforming, uh, you know, a liar, convicted sex offender, um, you know, Donald Trump uh, in, in this kind of like humanizing town hall, and then here we have like Elon Musk, billionaire taking over Twitter, destroying Twitter, right? And then now using it for pretty much exclusively now pushing this kind of far right uh, kind of agenda and now platforming Tucker Carlson, right? I mean, this is like, you know, how this stuff lines up, right? The pieces are coming here. And this is kind of, you know, you were talking about, you know, we see what happens at kind of at a small level, but we're talking about, you know, there's billions of dollars being mobilized around all of this, right? You know, if you take these things all together, right, to put in place a really messed up kind of, say, media landscape, political landscape, because we move into 2024, right? I mean, that's how I see it. I mean, tell me I'm wrong, you know? I mean, it's, it's just pretty, it's pretty... It's pretty concerning at the very least. So there it is. And that's why I want to know if, when Blue Sky is launching. So I, I don't know about, I, like, I've talked, I've, I've talked about this a little bit before. And, um, 
Um, and I, I am, I am really, I'm concerned about what's going on with social media. Um, and the impact we saw this week, for example, um, vice news basically says they're going under, right. Um, so that they're declaring bankruptcy and we saw, what was it? The, um, we saw, you know, basically other kind of online media companies um, that had been fairly strong also <clears throat> declare bankruptcy and close their doors, right? So that means that <clears throat> potential independent, independent or alternative or <clears throat> God forbid progressive outlets are um, are struggling. And I do think that some of this has to do with what's happened with Twitter. I don't mean to say that everything was great, then Twitter alone by itself is what, what, what destroyed things. Um, but it has had an impact. I mean, you know, like I've said here, I was like, you know, we know, we know that I know that the, the way that say our programs used to circulate online, the ways that, um, our engagement with folks would um, circulate online, the kind of comments and the back and forth that we, that we would get, um, that's changed over this past year. Right. Um, I mean, you know, we still got kind of our hardcore, you know, uh, Twitter warriors out there that, you know, retweet our show and kind of send it out and comment and things like this. But um, our, our, the the way that our shows circulate now is so sporadic. I mean, there's, you know, it's not like, it, you know, I, I'm not doing the shadow ban stuff. I'm not saying all that. I don't believe that that's what's going on. I just think it's just such a mess that, you, you know, the, the ways in which information would flow, right? Independent reporting would flow. Um, shows like this would flow are just, just junked up now. Um, and now when you've got Elon Musk basically opening the, the doors wide to, uh, you know, these kind of you know, people have been purged from the platform because of their, you know, white supremacy and Christian nationalism and, 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 and horrific behavior and racism and sexism and all that stuff. Now that he's welcoming them all back with open arms, it's just, you know, something, and just like even stuff that shows up in my feed now is stuff that I just, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff I just, I don't want to see this stuff, right? I mean, it's like, that was never there before. And now I'm getting stuff that's, you know, inappropriate. That's, you know, not even the kind of, you know, there was, a, there was the toxic Twitter before, right? When you've got these, you know, people are trolling each other and people are, you know, arguing and all, and then kind of saying nasty things and all that kind of stuff, right? That was bad. Right. Um, and that was not not productive for kind of like, you know, fostering a kind of deep democracy, so to speak. <laughs> right. But um, there was it was also this this contradictory space, like so many other ones that were, this, you know, you could circulate stuff and people would engage with you, especially on political content. Right. Um, but that's that's been impacted sig significantly. <clears throat> um We've been lucky in the sense that, you know, we've got enough, uh, you know, we've got enough strong following uh, kind of among our kind of core group. We're not this kind of, you know, made, you know, we're not trying to kind of, or we don't have like a group of reporters or production team or all this other kind of stuff that to have to pay. Right? Otherwise, we'd be in real trouble. No, this is kind of a labor of love, right? Kind of on my part, for the most part, and supported by, you know, the, uh, you know, the patrons, the members that we've, that have been with us for quite some time, you know, and that's, that's what keeps this thing running. I mean, if, you know, if it weren't for the kind of the members that we have and we don't do ads, we don't do any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I, you know, I plug the game in right here, but it's not because I get money from the game in, 
right? Um, I've said this on the show before. It's like, you know, they're a family-owned store, right? Uh, one of my son's best friends, that's that, his parents are the ones that, that run that store. They're awesome people. Um, they've, you know, they're awesome, you know, and they kind of, they, they, they opened that store and it used to be in Percocet and now it's in, and now it's in Quakertown. Um, and so I'm going to support them because it is the, the shout out the podcast, right. That I kind of mentioned on this show, the Rick Smith show, right. Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, right. Um, the signal, I, I I'm doing that because I'm not, nobody's paying me to say that in my show, right. Nobody's paying me for that. I'm doing it because I want to, I believe, you know, Hey, look, we have this little platform. Like we should be kind of like lifting up other people too, as well. Right. I mean, that's for me, the ethos of what this is all about. Um, but that's been, you know, that's been really significantly um, kind of damaged um, in terms of the way, you know, the way we reach out to folks. Um, and it's particularly an issue when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to new people. But, you know, again, I mean, I, all credit goes to, like the amazing kind of our amazing followers and uh, um, and members and patrons who are the ones who shout out shout this stuff out, where we kind of you know get new followers and we get um, new folks, um, because we've decided to focus a lot on what's happening in kind of even much more locally in parts of the show. It has helped tremendously uh, to build kind of local networks of connections, right? Um, and you know, and, and that's part, part by necessity because our school boards are off the you know off the rails. I mean, it's pretty crazy. But anyway, so, you know, Blue Sky um, is for what I've been reading about it and everything is uh, is potentially going to be the best um, Twitter alternative um, that's out there. We've tried I've tried Mastodon. I've tried some other things there before, but they're just the purpose of them. Right. What they're designed to do is different, right? I'm, I don't, I'm not knocking those other platforms at all. I actually really enjoy a Mastodon. It's really about, it really is about community, right? It's very, very decentralized. People are interested in kind of like, you know, um, it's kind of like a, a, almost like a discord kind of feel to it at times, right? And it's a really good stuff. And there's good people on there. There's good, good communities in different areas and stuff, but it's not, doesn't do the same thing with a Twitter. Um, but so, Blue Sky is going to be the latest, right? The guy who used to run, uh, used to run Twitter. Um, this Blue Sky started up as part of Twitter um, to basically set up this kind of decentralized, um, uh, de you know, a more decentralized platform um, to, you know, they call it, it's called this AT protocol, the uh, new foundation for social networking, which gives creators independence from platforms, de developers freedom to build and users a choice in their experience. <clears throat> um, Right now, you can sign up for, um, you know, um, to get on the waiting list, which is what I'm on. Uh, if any of you out there um, decide that you want to, uh, uh, that you you already are on it, you're in the beta, and you have an invite that you want to burn, please send it my way. I will love you for it. Uh, RagingChicken at gmail.com, or you can message me on Twitter at this point. Um, uh, but I guess email is probably better. Um, and we'll see, you know, um, the... You know, Blue Sky, you know, it's uh, right now, it's, it's owned by Jack Graber. Uh, but Jack Dorsey, you know, the guy from, I should have said his name before, from from Twitter, and uh, Jeremy Miller, um, they serve on the board. And it's being set up as a public benefit LLC. And, you know, we'll see what happens when it goes through. And we shall see what, you know, how it goes. But um, I heard them, you know, Blue Sky gets shouted out um on the majority report too as well last week, which gave me another mode of confidence because, you know, 
Um, those folks watch, you know, are, are much more tuned into the specifics of these different platforms and social media. So we'll hopefully we go there. Um, so I, I'm interested. I can't wait to see what it's, what it's going to be about. I hope it happens soon. <coughs> I hope it happens like, like soon this summer. Um, so we can start making that transition to lead up to the, um, you know, the municipal elections and the school board elections, but shall see. And I've been found the Writers Guild strike is uh, is going strong. And, you know, the more I find out about this, the more that you kind of look into, uh, not find out about, but the more kind of you read into some of the details of what's happening um, and what are some of the kind of key issues of the strike, um, it's, it's something else, I'll tell you. Um, and it's so critical that they're, um, that they are going on in strike. So let me give you some of this is from in these times, right? So just to give you a sense of what are some of the demands that are um, from the union right now, uh, the writers guild Association. some of the demands, they want to restrict the use of artificial intelligence in writing. They want establishing transparency and viewership based royalties, paying writers their weekly minimums due or during post-production of shows, preserving a minimum staff of six writers with guaranteed employment for 10 consecutive weeks on prospective shows, right? All those demands were flat out rejected by the major studios, and now production in Hollywood has essentially come to a screeching halt, right? Um, that's what you're doing. So basically what's happened, you know, if you haven't been following this, what's happened so far is that with the shift to streaming and then kind of like uh, the pandemic, there's been the gradual gigification of uh, kind of writer's work, right? You know, the people behind the scenes that actually are the ones who make the shows the shows, right? We all know the actors, we see the final product, but those actors never get to act if it's not for the writers, right? We're writing on the shows. And so they used to do things, you know, and again, it's, it's already precarious work, right? You don't have, you're not like, I, hi, I'm an, I'm an employed writer with this thing and I kind of have a 40 hour a week, no. It's like a boom and bust cycle, right? Um, you get, you know, you get hired for this particular show, for this, um, you know, for this particular episode, maybe for this movie. Um, and, you know, and, and then you work and then you, you basically are depending on, you know, getting paid during that period of time, but then also getting some of the royalties uh, from those shows. And that's part of what you live out, you know, live off in between these times. Well, that, that whole kind of royalty system and they'll say um, has been, you know, gradually chipped away at um, as they've moved to streaming for a variety of different kind of complex readings. I would definitely uh, urge folks to check out this great article in the um, in these times that called the WGA strike is more than an issue of pay. It's part of the battle for diversity and inclusion in Hollywood. It's a great it's a great piece which gets into some of the real issues that are going that are going on, the, the writer's strike um, and um stuff that doesn't kind of make the sexy headlines, so to speak, but is nonetheless kind of at the core of it. Um, so do check it out. Um, and, you know, I, I always watch things like this. You know, we, we, we tend to flag stuff like this um, here. But you notice that what happens here, right, at the same time, right, that this is, you know, look at the title of this, right, you know, the Battle of Diversity and Inclusion in Hollywood. We look at the same time that there's been a, there's been like two things going on at the same time, right? So on the one hand, you've got a shift to streaming, right, uh, which has been kind of eroding the pay of writers, right, slowly. And at the same time, that's going on, right, and, and in part because of streaming, right, um, because the, there's more variety for Dr. Theo, you've had an increase in the number of shows that are foregrounding, like, LGBTQ folks, kind of, um, like, diverse casts of black writers and actors, and 
you know, I mean, so you're seeing more diversity, so much more diversity, right, kind of on the screen, right? And there's more opportunities for like, you know, like, uh, um, like, uh, like BIPOC um, uh, directors and writers and all this stuff here because that's happening. But at the same time that's happening, right, there's an erosion of that work, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, we have more inclusion, but you're going to do it for less, Right? And you see this historically throughout, you know, all throughout the United States, right? Where it's like the minute that you have a step forward in the expansion of democracy and like a, a kind of an equality and equity and inclusion, right? The economics of it works to counter that, right? And then that helps bolster, right? You know, this kind of these divisions. Um, but you know, this is going to be kind of an important one. You know, the next thing, you know, the next thing to watch in addition to this writer's guild strike, um, which is, you know, really going after that gigification in really significant ways. Uh, we're also going to see what's going to happen with the potential UPS strike this summer. Um, and we're definitely going to be watching that really close. So anyways, so listen, I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the school board stuff. Um, and then, um, uh, we're going to call it a day. I'm going to get myself some more allergy medicine, and we shall see. But anyways, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. We want to remind you that you can help support this show by heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can become a patron for those five bucks a month. We'll be right back after this quick break. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1856. Workers of Melbourne, Australia, marched to celebrate a victory in the campaign to win the eight-hour workday. At the time, it was common to work as long as 12 or 14-hour days. A gold rush had brought a building boom to Melbourne. This meant long, tough work days for workers in the building trades. Frustrated by the working conditions, trade laborers began to mobilize for a shorter workday. That March, stonemasons working on public works projects, including Melbourne University, walked off the job. They wanted a reduction in their workday from 10 hours to 8. They won the 8-hour day at the same wages they had earned for the longer day. 8 hours became the standard for trade labor. From the masons, it spread to the carpenters, bricklayers, painters, and other skilled trade workers. To celebrate the masons' victory, a march was planned on the outskirts of Melbourne. The festivities included games, speeches, and even fireworks. For the celebration, a banner reading eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest declared the message of the movement. The triple eights became a symbol for labor. The next year, another eight-hour procession was held on April 21st. The march became an annual tradition for labor for the next 95 years. In 1879, the day was declared a public holiday. The march reached its peak before World War I. Thousands gathered to cheer the procession of the eight-hour men. From the United States to Australia and to many places in between, the campaign for the eight-hour workday showed the power of working people. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Where are my people? Where are my people? 
Oops, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I did it to myself again. Uh, I had to cough and I hit my mute button for the mic and here I am uh, muting myself, but I'm back. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> uh, I was just saying, hey, Emily. Um, and Emily uh, kind of messaged me earlier to say, you know, she was going to try to head out to the rally that was going on at the school board meeting, the Penridge school board meeting on Wednesday. Um, concerned parents and uh, community members uh, kind of coming out. Uh, in particular, because, you know, the Penridge, Penridge School Board is off the rails, right? Um, and we saw it all again on Wednesday night. Um, what became clear, a few things became clear, if they weren't already, is that Megan Bannis Clemens, uh, she's the vice president of the board. She's really running the show and pushing this agenda that um, Jordan Blomgren is uh, <clears throat> is is a, like, unthinking ideologue um, or here, but I want to talk about her in a second. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but, you know, things got started off rocky, right? So, I mean, part of the reason why there's a rally ahead of time, part of the reason that there were so many people that turned out to the board last night, uh, I mean, Wednesday night, <coughs> was because um, they were going to be voting on their kind of like discriminatory uh, bathroom policy. Right. Um, this is the one that's been flagged by the ACLU. It's been flagged by kind of multiple, you know, uh, human rights organizations as this is being detrimental and discriminatory um, and um, quite certainly illegal. Um, but, you know, that you have to put all this stuff in quotes when you're talking about illegal, given the fact that we have these far right Supreme Court justices now. So you don't know where it's going to where it's going to end up. But as of now, this is discriminatory. There was also legislation, we talked about this last week, that was um, that cleared the Pennsylvania House this week that would um, protect LGBTQ people, would kind of include them as part of, um, you know, code of discrimination. Because, you know, you got as protected classes, right? Um, and because, you know, right now, Pennsylvania, you could be fired for, for being gay, right? And that would be legal, right? Because that's not a protected class in the, the current code new legislation passed that would make the protective class, right? Whether it's kind of, you know, um, your sexuality or gender identity. Um, so that's a huge step forward that's still facing, you know, challenges in the, in the state Senate, but that's a huge step forward in terms of where, where people are going. So here we have in Penridge, um, these board members are kind of like flying against the grain. And, you know, even got, you know, I, I you know, shout out goes to uh, Ron Wirtz, um, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll put a shout out with qualifications here. Uh, you know, Ron Wirtz is not, you know, is actually, I give him a tremendous amount of credit uh, for being at least willing and willing to be hearing discussions from parents and to be above board in the process, right? And to, you know, be transparent in the process, to kind of share, to have a real community input and discussion, Um as they go through in these, these policies, you know, but, you know, Ron Wirtz is no, you know, no progressive. I mean, you know, he was, he ran with, um, uh, Megan Bannis Clemens and Ricky Chaikin and Jordan Blomgren, right. Um, those, the extremists, he ran with them. Right. Um, that kind of came up later in the, in the end of the meeting there. So let's be clear, but you know, that's my point. Like even Ron Wirtz and then, uh, Joan Cullen, right, you know, the former chair, she was not there at the meeting on Wednesday. They're both been the quote unquote voices of reason on this board, right? Now, I'm willing, like, 
Joan Cullen is a different story than Ron Wirtz. I think Ron Wirtz is, you know, he's conservative, you know, um, for the most part. But I do think, uh, you know, he's rational. And, and frankly, he's rational, he's considerate, and he's thoughtful about, you know, wanting to have people <laughs> listen to and not to do things that are, you know, illegal or kind of like like ideologically, politically motivated, like basically, right? You know, he's been outspoken against the Vermilion contract, um, all that kind of stuff. Like, so he was like the one voice of reason last night or on Wednesday. I keep on saying that. <clears throat> um, so, so anyways, that policy was going up. So that was part of the reason for the rally. And then the, um, during the board meeting, um, during the first, they were voting on the budget, right? And this got to be very interesting to me. Um, so you had public comment period, right? That um, the first, there's two public comment periods. There's, a, there's one that's kind of speaking specifically to stuff on the agenda and a second one that takes place later that's kind of fairly open. Um, and there was this, there was this, uh, well, what would you say? I, I, so, I'm just going to say, so you basically had, you basically had, you know, the, the, the Penridge School District, the school board shutting down public comment. Right. So basically what happened is that, you know, it comes up, you have like the first speaker comes up to kind of, you know, give her kind of perspective. And she says how, how she's against Vermilion. Right. And they start interrupting her and start interrupting her, start inter keep on interrupting her. And she says, I am speaking on issues of uh, that as the budget, because like Vermilion contract is, you know, is in the budget. But the thing is, there's this weird thing that happened. Right. Because they they the, the Penridge School Board agreed to this contract, this open ended contract with this, you know, Christian nationalist, like, consulting group associated with Hillsdale College, right? They agreed to that, which has to be paid for, right? But there's not specific lines in the budget where people are like, even Ron Wirtz and Beavis said, like, you know, there's, it's unclear about where this is going to be paid for. And yet, it's got to be paid for, right? So that's an issue of the budget. They would not let her speak, Right. They refused to let her speak. And oh, oh, so I, uh, I actually I, I should not do this. I'm going to spend a lot of spend the whole time on it. Um, so. As soon as Vermilion was mentioned, right, as soon as Vermilion was mentioned um, there, they shut down the common and they went after and interrupted primarily women interrupted them again and again and again um, until the point where Megan Bannis Clemens basically stands up and says, that's it. I'm not dealing with this anymore. After she had interrupted, she'd been, she'd been nasty, stands up and says, I'm, I, uh, I moved to have a recess. It calls for a recess and then leaves the stage along with the other extremist members of the, of the, uh, of the board. Right. And so then it was like a, I guess a half an hour recess before they reconvened. Right and come back and then had to listen to the to the to the superintendent Bolton. I I have I, I was astonished at how condescending he was to these primarily women. 
while asking them to self-modulate their behavior. And we all agreed to the we all agreed to the rules here. Now it was like it was despicable. They're talking to them like they were six year olds, right? Meanwhile, not a word to the person sitting right next to him, Megan Bennis Clemens, Megan Bennis Clemens, who was consistently interrupting and talking over people. Instead, disciplining members of the community, and then threatening to have them forcibly removed from the meeting. And one of those people that was being uh, threatened to be forcibly removed uh, just happens to be a school board candidate. What do you think of that? It's interesting, right? Isn't that just kind of interesting how the things like that happen? It's really strange. I mean, it just must be a coincidence, right? So, I mean, we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what happens with this uh, with this school board election. Um, I, I do want to say things. Hold on a second. Let me pull up this. I just seem to have misplaced this one. Here we go. So I do want to talk a little bit about this because, so so on the one hand, I, I should let me finish my first thought. So that was kind of what happened. So disrupting a public comment and then the, the, the meeting got prolonged because of the disruption of public comment, threatening it, actually calling the police to come, right? And someone actually overheard the police, you know, saying like, why are we here exactly, right? This is, um, and I believe it was Ross McLennan basically shouted that out later and called us, yeah, so much for your fiscal responsible, kind of forcing police officers to be called uh, to spend their time here as opposed to doing what they're supposed to, this is, you know, trying to use police to do this. Even the police are like, what am I, I'm in a school, what am I here for? There's no like threats, <laughs> right? It's just Megan Bannis Clemens pulling her red wizard kind of like stuff and wanting to just kind of use her unbridled power to run over everybody. So that primary thing. So then, you know, they go on the public comment that goes through. And, you know, if you haven't Notice already um, on on uh, Raging Chicken's YouTube page, I've been clipping up um, kind of highlight reels, if you will, of the school board meeting at uh, Penridge. I hope to be able to do some more of the other school boards too, as well, if I get on there. Uh, but it's you know, I'm, it's I'm limited to basically the time that I can put in personally, right? So, um, and obviously I'm directly invested in Penridge because I have kids in this district, right? Um, and uh, frankly, I think Penridge is not getting the kind of coverage that it deserves because, you know, in terms of what is actually happening, what is being done, I forget who mentioned this at the, um, I forget who mentioned this at, uh, at the school board meeting, but I, they believe, right, uh, that Penridge is probably the first public school district in the country, right, to sign a contract with Vermillion Education, this kind of Christian nationalist organization and consulting group to rewrite their curriculum, right? Remember the folks in the community in Sarasota, Florida, right? Were set to kind of approve a similar kind of contract, um, but they voted it down here because the complete domination of, of the far right on the board, um, they accepted it right away. So here's the thing. So Tuesday is the primaries. Um, there's a actually I put I sent this out before there's a link to the show notes the Bucks County Herald has a good breakdown and so for the municipal primary elections in 2023 it's called direction of Penridge schools is on the ballot um, and they break down the 11 candidates that are running there 
right? So it's a primary election. So you have to be registered as a Republican or a Democrat in order to participate in Tuesday's election. And you will be given a ballot for if you're a Republican, you will get a Republican ballot. If you're a Democrat, you'll be given a Democratic ballot, right? So that's here. But so there's 11 seats that are here. But here, here's the important thing. Because there's the ability for candidates to cross file. In other words, to try to get on the ballot as a Democrat and a Republican, right? You don't know necessarily who's who on those ballots, especially when you're talking about municipal elections or school board elections. And that it, it, this is the one of the weird things about kind of our democracy, right? It's like the closer we are to what's happening, you know, closer we are to the people running for office, like people running for school board, right? The harder it is to get information about those candidates if you're not already plugged in, right? That is always a challenge. I remember when I first moved to this area, and that's not true. It's not, not just here, right? I mean, when I, when, I, when I moved to Allentown, it was the same thing. When I, you know, anytime you move someplace, um, you don't know, like, you know, you haven't been, you know, growing up in here for generations. So you don't know all the kind of players and the names and what they mean and all this kind of stuff, right? They're trying, you know, and you see the signs out for school board stuff and you see signs with names on them. What do you know about them? You just do your Google, try to figure them out. Well, at least now because of the, what's been happening because of the, you know, the chaos and the crisis in our school boards, um, that there's been more reporting on this. And this is a really good article, like I said, in the uh, Bucks County Herald, um, of the oh, who's who. And the key thing here is like, this is especially important for anybody who's registered as a Democrat, who's going to be going out and voting on the primary. Right. There are one, two, three, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six candidates um, that are going to be um, kind of are, are, are going to be on the uh, ballot. Right. The six is an important number because there are five open seats. OK, so this is a big election. Right. Um, there are five open seats and you have um, one person on the Democratic ticket by the name of Bob Sellers. Bob Sellers, I don't know how the heck he got on the Democratic ticket, but this guy runs that like Penridge Republicans. Like this guy is notorious for being part of that right wing machine but somehow he got on the Democratic ballot. So what you need to know, if you're listening here and you're voting in the Penridge School District elections, right, your candidates, right, if you're a Democrat, your candidates are Leah Foster Rash, Chris Kaufman, Bradley Merkel Gump, Carolyn Ciarino, who we've had on the show before, and Ron Wirtz. Ron Wirtz, as I said, is a, you know, he's an independent, but he's a, He's not a progressive, right? To be clear here. But he has been willing to speak out against the worst abuses that's on the board. So he's been endorsed by the, uh, the Penridge Democrats. Do not vote for Bob Sellers on the Democratic ticket if you are a Democrat. You should vote for Leah Foster Rash, Chris Kaufman, Bradley Merkel Gump, Carolyn Ciarino, and Ron Wirtz. All right. Check the link in the show notes. Look for that uh, kind of uh, that article from the Bucks County Herald so you can learn about those candidates. The other thing you need to know, right, 
on the Republican side, this, this shows you how, what the stakes are. Uh, on the re- Republican side of the ticket, right, <clears throat> there's these, and they, they, this is GOP only nomination, right? These are the, uh, these are the people who are only running on a Republican ticket. Or, yeah, whatever. <clears throat> One is this guy, Joshua Hogan. Okay, now Joshua Hogan. Right, he was one of the co-founders of Reopen Bucks in 2020. Right, one to, to advocate against pandemic-related school closures, lockdowns, and mask mandates. He's one of the guys who's fostered the extremism. Right, so that guy could get elected. Right, you could have him, the head of the Penridge uh, Republicans, Republican Club, Sellers. And bring and just keep that extremism going. So this is absolutely critical. So now, again, I recognize this is a primary, but your primary, you know, when you're going in to vote on the primary, if you are a Democrat and you're voting on the Democratic ticket, remember it's Leah Foster-Rash, Chris Kaufman, Bradley Merkel-Gump, Carolyn Ciarino, and Ron Wirtz. That's who you want to vote for, <laughs> for my humble opinion. Do not vote for Bob Sellers on the Democratic ticket. If you are a Republican, please, in God's name, please do not vote for Joshua Hogan or Sellers. Do not put Sellers in there, although I know the way this party works. So anyways, that's that. That's my little piece of advice. Good to the community right up here. The other part of it, which I have not been able to break up this yet, um, I have like too much grading I've got to do, so uh, I've got to focus on that right now. But I will put the um, up some clips for the second um, uh, comment period that took place. So, so on, uh, if you look at the PA School Board Wars um, on our YouTube page, you look at some of the clips that are up there on that playlist. Um, you can get uh, stuff on the public comment um, that will give you a sense of uh, what was going on, as well as uh, some of the highlights from you know board misbehaving. Right. So you get to see that uh, the second part. Well, we got to hear some uh, there was some of this in the first part. But after they shut down, went other recess, they stopped. They stopped wanting uh, people to come up and talk about teachers, too. So. But the second in uh, the, the second public comment period was really, uh, really dominated by people kind of coming out and support teachers. Um, uh, the Penridge Education Association is in the teachers union is in negotiations. Their contract ends on June 30th. Um, the because of Megan Bannis Clemens spilling the beans on uh, during the meeting, we know that um, they're being offered minimal raises well below inflation, which amounts to a pay cut. We know that Penridge teachers are already about 30 percent below um, uh, the pay of of uh, teachers in surrounding districts. Um, and we know that they've had to put up with just absolutely kind of an insane environment and still doing amazing jobs with our students, with our kids, right? So um, that was kind of devoted to uh, really kind of wanting to support those teachers um, and teachers getting up and talking about how important there was. I will highlight, I will you know strongly encourage you to go check out um, those videos. Um, there was a woman who spoke, um, let me see if I could pull up her name. Uh, that was just amazing. Um, her name was, let's see, let's see, let's see. It was Priscilla. Priscilla Graystol. There you go, Priscilla Graystol. Um, she spoke with passion um, in defense of students um, 
against the bathroom policy. Um, Strong may check that out, but it's just, it's really amazing. And I guess this is why I, I wanted to come back to that and, and close out on that because as bad as this was happening with the school district is right. The story, right. Uh, I think we really have to start focusing. I really have to start focusing more on the resistance, right? Because the, these, the public comments uh, and, and the rally that took place out in front of uh, ahead of the board meeting uh, was phenomenal. Like uh, parents and community members have been doing amazing job kind of organizing and pushing back against this stuff. And you hear the pushback, right? So nobody can say, right, that, you know, that nobody cared. That's not the case at all. We see people fighting the good fight. That's important. That's where that's happening in district by district by district. Right. So we need to put more of a lens on that. I'll take responsibility in part for not doing that enough because I've been so preoccupied with the craziness. Um, but we want to basically lift up those voices to as well who are really doing um, the amazing work of organizing around these school board meetings. Um, and then Sundra Bucks, similar kind of things this week is we know that we had that uh, Christian law firm, uh, far right Christian law firm that was brought in to kind of, you know, do its dog and pony show report, um, basically showing how all of the ACLU's um, uh, accusations against the district for discrimination against LGBTQ, LGBTQ um, um, students uh, was unfounded. And uh, they, it's really the other side is a problem, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, they did what they were paid to do. Um, and then su subsequent reporting has come out since then, showing that a whole number of the claims and a whole number of the, of the analysis was just kind of wrong. Um, which everybody in that room knew, but that was not the point of it, right? The point was, as Paul Martino basically came out and said, um, kind of on, on Twitter, he's like, that's what he calls good politics. That's what you call power politics, right? You don't care about the truth, right? You care about gaining political points, right, in a blood sport, right? So basically, you know, basically somebody was criticizing for this, and basically what he did, right, basically helped get this, you know, encourage them, you know, to uh, uh, politicians to put out, put out these fake reports, right? He did this own with his own report, what about there? You put out the report, you use it as a talking point, you drive the media coverage for a short period of time, right? Even though it's filled with lies and half-truths, right? And then people forget about it. They remember that one kind of point of the report, and then they forget about it, and because local news reporting, investigative news reporting has been so utterly gutted, right? They, they count on, you know, people stop paying attention. Now our, you know, our local, we've had the, you know, Bucks County Beacon has been doing a bang up job and kind of following this stuff. Uh, Chris Ullery at the uh, Bucks County Courier Times has been fantastic. Emily Rizzo has been doing fantastic work um, from WHYY covering this stuff. Um, so, there, there has been reporting now, finally, um, but, you know, these people will, will do whatever tactics they can. So just a reminder, you want to make sure you head on over to vote.pa.gov and make sure that you're registered. Make sure you know where your polling place is. Um, and if you are a Democrat that are going to be voting in this year's primary, make sure you are not voting for sellers. Um, sellers is a dyed-in-the-wool uh, right-wing Republican, and we do not, he shouldn't, Look, if he gets elected in the Republican thing, nothing you can do about that. But if you're a Democrat, you do not vote for that person. Um, please, <laughs> for my kids' sake, for all our kids' sake, for our school district's sake. Um, yeah. 
and then uh, yeah. So I already mentioned, you know, at the top of the show too as well about uh, Ryan uh, Adavani, uh, one of my students who was uh, who was killed this past week, and uh, you know, it was really really devastating. He was, you know, he was a he was an amazing he was an amazing kid. I mean, he had he had disabilities, right? He was uh, walked with crutches, right? He had Tourette's. Um, he uh, worked at the LGBTQ center at Kutztown University. Um, he was a fierce advocate for um, kind of disability rights, um, in particular access and also access to mental health services. Um, and uh, you know, I remember one thing I was telling the story yesterday to some of my colleagues. You know, when one of the things that uh, you know, one of those first times I really remember what happened with Ryan, or what Ryan was coming out as an advocate, it was up in this big. We had our own little town hall to try to see. What are some of the issues that students are facing and staff are facing and faculty are facing and how do we work together, right? And it was kind of one of those meetings. And um, Ryan was there and uh, I remember he sat in the front row and he talked about like the student frustration about being able to get access to the counseling center. And um, we as faculty members, particularly in the union, have been fighting for years, right, for um, to get adequate staffing in the counseling center. While the university administration is consistently looking ways of outsourcing it, right? They were kind of really talking about, we got this great little app that you can use now, right? You know, which is just basically outsourcing it. Um, not hiring enough staff, right? While um, we have an increasing number of students in crisis, right? Um, that did not get better because of the pandemic. It got worse. And... They're currently searching for a counseling because they have no more kind of full-time faculty counselors there, right? And students are the ones who bear the brunt of this, right? <clears throat> um, so, you know, all these kind of right-wing people talk about kind of they care about mental health and stuff like this. But, you know, you don't care about mental health unless you actually put the resources behind it. Really, You just want people to freaking buck up and shut up is, I think, what you really want. But Ryan told the stories about, like, you know, look, he's hears again and again for himself. It's like anytime you need access to... Um, counseling services, you know, he's, uh, <clears throat> you know, that students would hear, you know, would complain all the time. The only way that you can get access to, um, uh, to be seen in time is if you are concerned that you might take your own life. And so you had students who would basically were told, you know, they told their stories publicly about how they had to kind of, in, they knew they were in crisis, they were not suicidal, but they would have to tell the counselor that just to be able to get seen to get help. I mean, it's it's horrendous. So that's the kind of thing, I mean, you know, here you got this, you got this kid who fought for, you know, for everything, is out there advocating for other people. I, I mean, this is this is the kind of person he was. You know, I, he was interesting. He was funny. He was, he was so excited. You know, he got this job. He's a technical writer, and he got this job, and he was he was thrilled to be graduating, landing a job. And he went. I remember he was sitting in my office, talking, telling me about it. And then to find this out was just devastating. You know, and you know, again, we don't know the details behind what happened. We don't know what goes on, but, you know, if anybody does have information about what happened, this is, you know, this was up in Kingston, Pennsylvania, um, Ryan Padovani, um, 
If you see anything online, if you know anybody in the area that hears things, right, please contact the uh, Kingston Police Department, Detective Robert Miller at 570-288-3674. It will be in today's show notes. That's extension 420, 570-288-3674, extension 420. That's for Detective Robert Miller, right? Or you can email information at rmiller at kingstonpd.org. That's rmiller at kingstonpd.org. So rest in power, Ryan. Um, You're loved and you're going to be missed. Um, Certainly. So last thing on a slightly, well, on a, I don't know how you're here to go to an up note here. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to go on the up note. <laughs> we're just going to end with Ryan and we're going to run into the seriousness of all this stuff. Right. I mean, I think about why we organize, why we kind of, why parents bother to go to, you know, these, these meetings, why we kind of stand up for the least among us, um, is because they are the vulnerable ones. Right. And we want to live in a society that is not this. Right? We want to live in a society that's better for all. So let's do that. So I'm going to call it on that, folks. Um, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, I appreciate you all tuning out today or tuning in today um, and that uh, sticking around, uh, listen to me babble. And remember, we got a couple of great shows uh, coming up on Monday. We've got a double, a double show on Monday. We do indeed um, at 1.30 p.m. We will have... Um, <coughs> Uh, Christina Marusic, um, Marusic on the board, <laughs> on the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about her new book, A New War on Cancer. Uh, she's an investigative reporter uh, for Environmental Health News. She's absolutely fantastic. She's been on the show. I think it was I looked it up. I think it was I think it was back um, right before the pandemic. I think uh, is when she was on the show. Um, she's fantastic. Um, her book is fantastic. Uh, so please join us at one thirty, and then right as the double bonus uh, Super Monday show. At um, and right on the you know ahead of the uh, the primaries is perfect timing. Catherine Joyce is going to be joining us. Uh, she's an investigative editor at the In These Times. She's author of the books Quiverful and The Child Catchers. We're going to be talking about her uh, latest article in Church and State on uh, Moms for Liberty, called Mad Moms: A New Christian Nationalist Front Group Claims to Champion Parental Involvement in Public Education. Uh, her work is absolutely fantastic, um, and it's the kind of stuff that is you know critical for all of us. Um, it's kind of like fuel for the struggle, if you know what I mean. Um, but tune in, and that is uh, Monday at 7 p.m. with Catherine Joyce, and Monday at 1.30 p.m. with Christina Marusic. All right, everybody, uh, thanks so much for hanging out, and uh, I wish you an awesome... Which doesn't stop. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> I wish you an awesome weekend, and uh, hope you get to enjoy some of it, and uh, we'll be back with you on Monday. Uh, and then I will should have all my grading done by then, so uh, my sanity will slowly return. So here we go. See ya.